Welcome to From the Ground Up, a podcast about small business funding, entrepreneurship, and current events that influence them. Powered by Tenant Financial Group. Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to be with you today. In this post-COVID world, can we say post-COVID world? I hope we can. I hope so. That's what we're going to say. The franchise space is coming back really strong. We're seeing tons and tons of movement. FDDs are getting updated with numbers from 2020. A lot of brands are updating their Q1 21 FDDs. There's all sorts of things happening in the franchising space. And one of the things that is a common topic, especially from a, for a marketing guy like me, is we hear about is FPRs or financial performance representations. This is a serious topic. And our guest today, we're excited about, she probably knows more about this topic than definitely anybody on this podcast. So we're super excited to have her with us. We'd like to welcome Miss Ursa Jackson to the call. She specializes in providing counsel to companies that are expanding businesses through franchising. She's a certified franchise executive. She's a frequent speaker at national, regional, and local franchise programs and works with both established franchise systems and startups. She also handles complex business commercial litigation matters. She's a former director of litigation and dispute resolution division for the American Bar Association Forum on Franchising, and she's currently an editor for the Franchise Law Journal. I would say she's qualified. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Ursa, it's so good to have you back. We date back to the earliest days of of our uh, professional careers in franchising. I know quite a bit of your background, but I know our listening audience probably doesn't. Can you give them uh, a little bit of an introduction on you and, and your background in franchising? Certainly. Thank you, Derek. I've been in franchising for 23 years, but I tell people I got the bug early. I was introduced to franchising my second year of law school. My mentor was handling franchise matters, and I thought it was a great business model. It was an opportunity for folks to reach that American dream. I always say when franchising works well, it creates a win-win for everyone. That's what fascinated me about franchising. And I guess you can say the rest is history. I've been in franchising for 23 years now. Yeah, I know you've done some really remarkable stuff over the years. There's been a lot of things, hot button issues, if you call them that, Yes. that have come and gone in the industry. Talk to us a little bit maybe about the hottest of hot button issues, this idea Franchisors, you know, in order to sell a franchise, it's nice to be able to, with the item 19, say your franchise can earn you X number of dollars. What is this whole issue relating to financial performance representations on behalf of franchisors? Excellent. Very good question. So financial performance representations are going nowhere. It's an issue that's going to be around with us. The prospective franchisee wants to know how much money they want to make. The sales guy wants to be able to tell a great story about how much money they're going to make. The brand wants to look good also. And so we have to make sure that everyone is following the rules. A financial performance representation can come in many shapes. We used to, prior to the last round of updates to the FTC franchise rule, we called it the old earnings claim. So it's still the same nature. How much money can I make in this business? So it's always a pressing question. The answer should first start with what's in our franchise disclosure document. 
franchise systems should make an item 19 financial performance representation if they in fact want to use this information. As I said, it's very valuable information, but there is a training and compliance aspect that goes with it. For your salespeople, they need to know what's in the item 19, what they can say about the earnings, and what they should not say about the earnings. That's the compliance piece of it. One tricky piece with the financial performance representations is sort of the standard. Under the FTC franchise rule, a franchisor need only have a reasonable basis. The trick is there's no definition to reasonable basis. The franchisor is required to prove that it had a reasonable basis at the time that it made the financial performance representation. There's wide latitude there. And so the typical types of things that you would see in a financial performance representation would relate to the range of time upon which the representation is based. Also, you might disclose how many units are included versus excluded. Now, this is an area that's really important also. Typically, you're going to exclude kind of your newbies in the system, the folks that have been in business less than a year. That's totally fine. The name of the game is disclosing. So you make full disclosure, hey, we're only including X number of units. We're excluding these units because they've not been in business long enough. And so it's going to be over a period of time. There are two types of disclosures. Most are going to be historical numbers. That's going to be your safest area, and I'll loop back to those. You can also make a projection. As you could imagine, those are going to be riskier because that's looking into the future. Even on the historical numbers, if you think about a pie, you can slice that pie lots of different ways. From the franchisor standpoint, you want to make sure that that pie is going to be as representative as possible for what you're actually offering in your disclosure document. In other words, I'll give you a real world example. I was working with a young brand. They've been around for a long time with company operations. And the founder wanted to make a financial performance representation. He said, our numbers look great. I said, let's talk about the numbers. Let's look at them. While their numbers looked really well, I said, you realize in this slice of pie, this is basically a whole pie and your franchisees are not going to have a territory that's going to represent this entire pie. We've got to slice this up. Now, I want to look at your numbers and when you slice this into territories, how do these numbers look? So the franchisor was taken aback that I recommended, hey, you're not ready to make this representation. We need to gather more information by the size of the territory that you're going to be offering. Because while these numbers are true and factual numbers, they're not representative of what's offered. So there are lots of rules of engagement when you're making these financial performance representations. It's not just that these numbers are accurate. Then you add a layer to the top if you're going to make projections out in the future. You can see why very few franchisors take the second option of making projections. That's even harder. I get a question oftentimes from my clients about how many folks are actually 
making these financial performance representations. There's a great report that was put out in 2017 by the IFA Foundation along with Fran Data. They took a look at 3,000 systems and wanted to get an idea of how many folks were making financial performance representations. It turns out that two-thirds are making financial performance representations. This is up from about 10 years prior. The reason that this is important is clear that the market-driven forces are pushing the brands to provide this information. Kind of a no-brainer there. We expect for that number to increase. Now, you might be wondering, what about the one-third that's not making the FPRs? I say seller beware. And the reason I say seller beware, training is going to be critical. Your salespeople are going to get questions from your franchisees about how much money can I make? What's this business all about? So training is important for that one third, especially. Your team needs to know you cannot provide the number on the napkin. You can't start providing numbers to those prospects because you're not authorized. There are two limited exceptions to the rule that your FPR needs to be in your item 19. One is where there is a supplement to your item 19. In other words, you're supplementing some data that's in there. That's one exception. The second exception is if you're actually selling a company unit, you can essentially open up the books for that particular unit. Those are very limited exceptions. And the reason that training is important the sales guy can't use those numbers because they obviously they know these numbers. And sort of wink, wink, if you might be interested in this one, here are the numbers. When you know that they have no interest in that particular unit. So I've been around this game for a long time and there are things that happen out there. So the training and the compliance piece of it is very important. That's amazing. I wonder if you could speak to the intent behind a item 19. Who does an item 19 protect? Is it, there's not a wrong or right side here. I'm just curious. You know, sometimes I think there's a perception that it's for the benefit of the franchisor, and sometimes there's a perception that it's the benefit for the prospective franchisee. Who's the true benefactor of understanding this data? Very good question, because I would say all of the above. From the franchisor standpoint, if you've properly trained and properly provided that item 19, that's going to be an insurance policy of sorts for you. If there are any questions later as to the franchisor, you've properly made the item 19, you've trained your salespeople, they follow the rules, and so it's kind of an insurance of sorts. From the franchisee standpoint, the franchisee is buying that franchise to make money. So this is valuable information for the franchisee and doing the due diligence, comparing one brand to another brand. So it's really important information from the franchisee standpoint. It also is important when the franchisee goes to the financial source, whoever is going to do the financing, if they're not familiar with the system, they certainly wanna glean what they can from the system. So being able to provide a well-prepared item 19 is beneficial for your financial institution as well. So in kind of who does it benefit, I think it creates a win-win for everyone. 
I also think that it helps the franchise industry as a whole. The FTC got involved many years ago in franchising because there was a lot of fraud in the industry. This is many years ago. The FTC got involved and said, we need to regulate this landscape. There's lots of fraud in the industry. And so as the regulations developed over time, the franchise systems got more sophisticated. It actually strengthens the system. Every study that's looked at franchise businesses versus non-franchise businesses typically conclude that the franchise businesses outperform the non-franchise businesses in similar industries. And so it benefits the industry as a whole as well. Yeah, there was a recent study, I can't remember exactly when, that talked about the sale of franchised businesses versus the sale of independent businesses. I can't remember who authored that. On the sales side, when they choose to sell their businesses, there was a benefit to being affiliated with a franchise brand as well. Right, right. And Derek, that's a good point because, first of all, the same benefits that that franchisee got going into a system, the support that's around it, the POS system, the processes that are in place, this looks very attractive when you're talking to someone about buying your business because they're not having to start from scratch. They've got systems in place. They've got the finances. Typically, you're going to have a good system for accounting already because the franchisor is going to require it. And so these are things that make it much easier to sort of package a business and to resell it. The franchisor takes care of all of the training, the approval process, but it should be a fairly smooth process to bring in the prospect or the new franchisee. Are there individual states, Ursa, that are maybe addressing this issue a bit more aggressively than others? I mean, it seems to me that, you know, there's merit to the regulation of of FPRs nationwide, but are there individual states that push this issue more to the forefront? I would certainly say so. For the states that are active and participate in NASA, those regulators regularly get together. So if there are recurring issues, you will typically see some type of guidance that will come from those states who participate. I will tell you that a couple of years ago, Derek, some of these states started to look at franchise systems that were pushing their company locations and providing great numbers for their company locations when they had franchise locations out there. So that ended up being taboo in that, hey, we don't want you to just tout your company stores when you have franchise stores. You cannot exclude those because in many respects, you are pushing those ahead, your company operations should be running a lot smoother than your franchised operations. Again, transparency and how is that a reasonable basis to exclude the franchise locations versus just including the company locations. And again, the examiners are looking at it from the standpoint of, is this fair to the franchisee? Is the franchisee getting the information? So those are the types of things where the states will step in. When you file your financial performance representation, the state examiners are typically going to ask some questions. One of the things that they're going to push back on is if you have too many disclaimers in your financial performance representation, so much so that you've tried to disclaim away all the information you've provided, that's not going to work as well. So I will tell you that in the states that have a registration process, they scrub down that item 19 fairly well. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. You touched on some of the trends that you've seen, but what are some of the unique things you've seen from a trend standpoint with maybe some of the brands that you've worked with? 
Excellent. Many of the brands now are going with, because of the pandemic, going with mobile models or models that didn't exist pre-COVID. So one of the challenges right now is how do we break out information to show this information quickly enough that we get people interested. So typically you're going to have kind of your traditional location. Last year during the pandemic, there were a number of brands that had to retool their models. So they are actually developing what we call add-ons. Some are developing all mobile models that didn't exist before. And so the challenge with those is, hey, we don't have enough experience for the mobile only model. How do we show this information? How do we start showing people this and how well this is performing? We also saw last year a trend where state examiners started to question these FPRs because some of the brands were still showing 2019 numbers when during the pandemic, these units were shut down. And so the state started to ask, show me how you've determined that you still have a reasonable basis to rely on these numbers. This is a real issue with the closures that are out there. I will share with you a large brand that decided during the pandemic to pull their item 19 because there was no way that they could quickly with a small staff provide and gather 2020 sort of real-time numbers to show against those. Now, if a large brand is having trouble pulling that together, imagine the small brands. Some of the brands were able to get their item 19s approved. The question is this year, how many of them are going to have to go back and sort of backtrack and deal with the states on a state-by-state basis? Hey, was there a reasonable basis? I even had one large system out there who they were in the process of closing deals. And so we had to, on a one-on-one basis, talk with them about, hey, are there supplements that you need to make prior to closing this deal so that you don't have a question later about whether the information that was relied on, which was accurate, was somehow misleading because of the closures due to the pandemic. So I think you're going to see a lot of new things this year with the item 19s that you didn't otherwise see. For instance, I have a number of clients that have reported numbers and said, hey, these numbers are prorated because we were closed for this number of months in these markets. So this year, you're going to see, I think, a smattering of things in the item 19 that you wouldn't normally see just due to the pandemic. Yeah, great, great point. I was going to ask you about the pandemic and specifically as it relates to financing, Ursa. You know, that's the world I've been in for a number of decades now in franchising. And for so many people, unit economics are such that buying multiple territories or multiple units at the outset makes a lot of sense. You might not, with one particular brand, be able to earn what you are looking for in terms of total earnings off of one location. So instead, you might buy the rights to two, three, or more. The development, especially as it relates to financing, the procurement of financing over the past 18 months has been a real challenge keeping up with development schedules. Can you talk to us? Is there litigation around that issue, development schedules with franchisees falling behind specifically in their development plans? Very good question. That is a real issue on the development schedules. I've had a number of conversations over the last few months. What I will tell you is that most of the brands are pretty reasonable with 
resetting those development schedules. Because here's the thing, you don't wanna have to report in your item 20 that all of these folks had to exit your brand. So this is the incentive from the franchisor standpoint to work with the developers. We wanna keep good people in the system. It's certainly taking longer, Derek, on the financing piece of it. I've had a number of these conversations where it's like, okay, we've been in a freeze pattern for six, eight months now. For those deals that were approved and the financing was there, there are essential workers. And so there were some deals that <laughs> continued just because of timing alone. There were others that are dead in the water for months now, and they're having to reset those development schedules. But for the brands that really want to keep these folks in the system, and that's most brands, they're looking at redoing those development schedules. You know, a tenant financial group we work with, gosh, I mean, a ton of lenders. In fact, I would say, you know, I haven't looked at the database recently, David, but there's close to or so 700 lenders that we've worked with over the years. And we just keep a running inventory of them. Some get into franchising and out of franchising as time goes on. But I will tell you that we petitioned them on behalf of our new franchisee clients frequently through the pandemic. And out of all of those lenders, we didn't get anyone nothing to speak of as all hands were on deck for PPP loans and disaster loans. There was literally, we had no way to procure lending on behalf of startup franchisees or resales or even recapitalizations of existing businesses. It all stopped because banks completely did a hard left turn and went to all hands on deck with PPP loans and disaster loans. And so we couldn't, even if we wanted to finance deals, we couldn't get it done because there was literally nobody at the bank on the other end of the phone. And so franchisees fell behind in their development schedules. That's why I asked the question. It was it was just literally an off switch Friday, March 13th, ominously enough, when this COVID bomb went off. That's why I asked the question, and it did impact our business, and, and it impacted the business of so many of the franchisees that were seeking to you know, buy in at that particular time. Right, right. I guess one added benefit is that we've got a lot of them sort of in the queue, and then you've got a lot of new folks that have sort of left their regular nine to five and they're looking for a new opportunity. So I think we're going to see a quick sort of upspring in getting units open, getting people in the pipeline. I know there was a study released earlier this year by the IFA and they're projecting growth even during the pandemic, they're projecting growth. And so I think it's going to be a nice trend upward. We were in that holding pattern for a long time. Yeah, we really were. And, you know, in 2009 or so, we went through the same thing. And it, it was different, of course, but franchise sales just stopped for all intents and purposes. And when they restarted, you saw your service-based concepts start selling. Those started going off the shelves. And then inline units started. Your leasehold space unit started. And once that was going, then the standalone units uh, that involved real estate and, you know, SBA 504 loans, that was kind of the third, you know, iteration of growth. That has, again, been largely the pattern that we've experienced. We've seen a tremendous volume of your service-based concepts, your plumbers, electricians, carpet cleaning, senior care, service concepts galore 
latter half of last year uh, to date. Now, you know, we're seeing a number of inline units coming online. And I, and I fully believe you'll just continue if this pattern continues as it did in 09, you'll just begin to see, you know, the freestanding locations here, here shortly. I think you're exactly right. I think we're going to, we've already seen the roadmap. Yeah. And the volume's definitely there. We've seen tremendous numbers of deals going through. And unlike 09, I shouldn't specifically correlate, you know, what we're going through now or or did go through last year versus 09, because the truth is lenders have lots of liquidity, lots of money. In 09, that wasn't the case. Now that PPP loans are behind us, they're very much back into the commercial lending world, which has served franchising really quite well. Right. Yeah, the banks are getting their legs back underneath them. I've had conversations with a number of bankers that are shoring up their franchise lending and getting ready to roll out new programs. So that's always a good sign when the banks are ready to start talking again. Yeah. So I've got a question. It's kind of the more lay person of the call here. You guys have a background deeper in this than I do. For somebody who's trying to explore, you mentioned there's all this growth on the horizon. We feel that. I think that's absolutely true. How does somebody, besides going to the direct franchisor that they might be exploring or in discovery with, are there any resources that somebody can go to to understand things like item 19s and FDDs and all these things that maybe us, because we're kind of related and in the industry, understand? Where do we find education around that, those topics? Very good question. So I'll talk about a couple of sources from the IFA standpoint, franchise.org. There is a ton of information on the website. There's also a franchise opportunities guide that's updated. You can get information on that if listeners want to just Google franchise opportunities guide. I would also suggest a Federal Trade Commission resource. It's called a consumer's guide to buying a franchise. It's chalked full of a lot of good information so that folks start to understand that disclosure document. I like that particular publication because it demystifies that document. Now, if anyone's looked at a a disclosure document, it's hundreds of pages. So picking up that document to read it could be scary. But that consumer's guide to buying a franchise breaks it down by each item in that disclosure document and tells the prospective franchisee, here's what you should expect to see in this particular section in the disclosure document. So that's why I say it starts to demystify that large document. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, like just like I expected, mentioned in our opening, this has been a super beneficial call. Thank you so much for taking the time to help educate us and our listeners and lighten us on some of the things that are happening in the legal space, the horizon that's come with franchise development. It's an exciting time to be in this business. For our listeners, we thank you so much for being a part of our show. We appreciate you so much. Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. We want to grow that audience. If you have topic ideas, we love to have talent on the show that can help you understand understand this business and all business aspects in a better way. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to today's podcast and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure to be here.